You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. I'm sure some of you have seen this advertised already, the video doorbell. Uh, It's gaining in popularity, not just among homeowners, but even renters. This sort of mini surveillance camera uh, that looks somewhat like a doorbell, but you can tell there's a camera if you get up close. And it's able to watch the front of your yard, your porch, uh, when people don't think anyone's watching. Uh, And this being the season where packages are going to start to be delivered, you can expect probably more and more people are going to buy one. Uh, You go to YouTube and you'll see there's all these different footage of how that doorbell works. And it's captured some interesting things. It's captured random acts of kindness. Uh, There was one that featured a sanitation worker who for months had been bringing in an elderly woman's trash for her. Uh, But then it's also captured would-be porch thieves and others either in the act of taking those packages you've been waiting for or them noticing that they are being filmed and then leaving your porch, let's say, quite quickly. Well, it got me thinking about the fact that all of us live under the thought of we're being watched. And, And not in an eerie sense, but according to Ephesians, in a healthy sense, that this is why we should be very concerned how we walk as believers in Christ. That we are being watched. We're being watched by the world, Uh, But more importantly, being watched by the one who has called us and saved us. Um, So we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. And you probably have already heard me say by now, chapters 4 through 6 in Ephesians are all application. Paul's saying, here's how your faith in Christ should infiltrate and go out into every area of your life and my life. But it's in chapter 5, in the first six verses, that Paul talks particularly about walking in love. And and not just that we are to walk in love, uh, but but how is that even possible? Uh, So look with me at Ephesians chapter 5. And the way we're going to look at these first six verses is two actions that Paul puts forth. The first one is that we should be striving to be imitators of God. And the second is starving impulses that prevent you from being an imitator of God. 
So first, looking at the positive aspect, striving to be imitators of God, and then listening to what Paul says about starving those impulses, those sins that prevent you from being an imitator of God. But let's look at how Paul begins in verse 1. He simply writes, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Um, you probably would want to better reverse the order of that in terms of it reading, therefore, be imitators of God. And we've seen that so far in this letter, that word therefore sort of indicates a new section or topic that Paul's getting into. Uh, and so it also alerts us to the fact that chapter 5, as it begins with therefore be imitators of God, is doing two things. One is it's pointing back to the last verse in chapter 32, which read, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So it's pointing back to an aspect that we should keep before us. But then verse 1 of chapter 5 also is pointing ahead to what will be discussed in verses 2 through 6. So it serves a, a very key role in pointing us back as well as pointing us ahead. But let's consider this first action that Paul puts before us, and that is striving to be imitators of God. And so you notice in that first verse that I read, he simply says quite clearly, be imitators of God. And it doesn't take us long to figure out the word imitate means to mimic, that's where we get our, the root for our word to mimic, uh, to model or to copy. And Paul's presenting this in a very healthy way. Not that we become God or anything like that, but increasingly, as we learn what it means to walk in love, that we should be reflecting more and more the very character of Jesus Christ, the character of God. And as you kind of consider that, notice that the way Paul puts this is that this is the responsibility of every believer. So if, if you know Jesus Christ, this is what he's telling you you need to do. You need to imitate God. Strive to imitate the character of God. Well, what does that look like? And Paul has presented for us so far in the letter different angles of what that looks like in your life and mine. But notice how he goes on in verse 2, where he says, And live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So there he comes back to, what does it look like to imitate God? Well, let's look at what it means to live a life of love. If you have a different translation, you may notice the word live there can also be rendered walk. A key term in Ephesians, eight times. This is the third time so far in the letter that Paul has put this out there and said, here's what it should look like in your life and my life to be a follower of Christ. And when he says that, he is saying that this is applicable to every single believer. Now, it may look differently in your life and my life, but we're all under the same overarching exhortation. 
But I mentioned here, as it says in verse 2, you are to live a life of love. How has Paul already used this word walk or live in the letter so far? Well, go back to chapter 4, and you notice in the beginning of that chapter, Paul began by saying, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live or walk a life worthy of the calling you have received. Then, as well, in chapter 4, go to verse 17, and there we saw previously how Paul uses it to tell you, but don't walk or live like Gentiles. So in verse 17 of chapter 4, he says, See, I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So, so far in this letter, Paul has come back to us three times to say, let me tell you how you should strive toward walking and imitating God. I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews for a moment because the writer of Hebrews also puts before us the importance of modeling or mimicking. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 12. Hebrews 6 and verses 9 through 12. I think all of us can probably relate to the audience of this letter. Uh, they're very discouraged in their faith. Uh, it's not turning out as many of them thought they would, uh, that following Christ, they, some of them were thinking would be an immediate sort of comfortable life, uh, but it, they were finding it was the opposite. Uh, that seeking to walk with God is a difficult road. A rewarding, yes, but difficult, absolutely. But notice what he says here in Hebrews 6 and verses 9 through 12. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Now there the writer speaks of imitating God, but the way you do that sometimes is imitating those around you who are following God, who are living out their faith that gives you evidence of their salvation. Uh, and I don't know how many of you enjoy this, but uh, I, that's one reason why I like to read a good Christian biography. You know, that here's an example of someone who's not perfect, but, but they encourage me in their relationship with the Lord. Uh, sometimes when you're reading about some of the challenges they face, it makes your challenges pale in comparison. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews was saying. Imitate God. How do you do that? Look around you. Look at the people God has placed in your life that hopefully some of those people are one or two steps ahead of you spiritually. So you can see that. And there may be others who are one or two steps behind you who will be looking at you to be a copy to them that they can imitate and reflect the character of God. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5, because as Paul talks about striving, 
striving to be imitators of God, not only is that a responsibility of every believer in Christ, but he also wants to alert us, how, how can you do that on a daily basis? I mean, right now, it's easy for us to nod our heads and be like, okay, so I have to imitate God this week. I hear that. But once we get out into our week, we know that challenges will come. And so what Paul tells us in verses 1 and 2 is what you need to keep before you is your new identity and position in Christ. Because as you look at those opening verses, notice how he refers to his, his brothers and sisters in Christ. You are dearly loved children. Now, I think you could expand that term. Paul's not just saying you're, you're, you're loved by me, uh, but, but ultimately you are children of God. What, what a new standing and position that you must keep before you. Because without that reality and without that means of encouragement and strengthening in the Holy Spirit, not one of us can do this. And I've stressed many times as we're going through Scripture, we, we never want to think that these things are said to us where the writer is simply saying, you know what, you've got to try harder this week. Because I think there's nothing worse when you know that you really do want to do this and you, and you realize, I, I have tried and I've failed. Well, the problem here is, yes, you need to be obedient, but it's God working in you out of your new position in him. I want to read you a passage. You don't need to turn to it, uh, but it's in 1 John. So I'm going to read these couple verses. And, and you may be aware of the fact that the punctuation in Scripture uh, was, was not there in the originals. So we've added punctuation to kind of help us. But I want to read you something from 1 John. And I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. So in this passage, there's a couple of exclamation points. And, and I'm going to say, you know what? I think John would have liked this. The Apostle John, as he wrote this. Instead of just an exclamation point where you might emphasize the word, the last word, that we respond as a congregation with one word that has three letters in it. Yes. But I mean like a hearty yes. Not like a yes, but like yes. So I'm going to read this. We'll, we'll try this out. So I'll give you a clue. When I want to hear everyone together, be like, yes. So he starts out, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Yes. Very good. I'm going to read it again. Just got the hang of it now. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Yes. And that is what we are. Yes. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. Yes. And we will be, and what we will be has not yet been known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone has this hope in him, purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, the roofers may not know what's going on over here, but, but you get the point. Those are exciting statements. This is your position, my position in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to stop. Which would explain why we should be striving to be imitators of God.
But Paul isn't finished yet because he's going to present another action. And I think this one may even be more neglected and avoided among many times when we think about following God and being obedient. And that is starving the impulses that keep you and me from imitating God. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, uh, was known once as he was talking about this this struggle that you have as a Christian, that now your nature's been changed, but the presence of sin is still there. Uh, and he was talking to someone about this, this constant battle you have. Uh, and, and the person he was talking to sort of said to him, well, Augustine, how, how do you know who's, who's going to triumph? And he said, it depends which one I feed. In other words, I think we forget sometimes, if we look at how do we starve these sinful impulses, then at the same time, we should be feeding the right impulses to enable us, by God's grace, to imitate him. Let's take a close look at verses 3 through 6. So Paul gets right to the point here. What, what are these impulses, these sins, that we must seek to, to starve uh, and not feed? Well, he's going to tell you in verses 3 through 5. Uh, as we go through this list, this is not meant to be exhaustive, because certainly there's more sins that he mentions and other letters mention. Uh, but you'll notice the sins sort of fall under two categories. They either are related to lust or they are related to greed. And I want you to be thinking about what did those two seem to have in common? But before we do that, notice in verse 3, he simply says there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality. So any, any sexual activity that is outside the boundaries of Scripture. So there should not be a hint of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity or uncleanness. And there should not be any greed because these are improper for God's people. So you have first that list, sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. Uh, and, and the scriptures are very much a balanced view on sin. All sin incurs the wrath of God. Whereas sometimes people criticize Christians and say, well, you only tend to focus on certain sins. Uh, the New Testament, the word of God says to us, no, you, you need to focus on all sin is wrong. We sometimes think and elevate certain sins above others, uh, but God's word is very clear. These should not even have any hint, any association with those who are saying they're a new creation in Christ. But then notice verse 4. In verse 4, you have three sins that the particular terms that Paul uses are not used anywhere else in the New Testament. Uh, and you see Paul sometimes do this almost as if he's, he's coining certain words to address particular sin issues that there really isn't another word to use. So in verse 4 he mentions here, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. And then you go to verse 5, and he says, for this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater 
has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So as you think of that list of sins, what do they have in common? And, and does it strike us as harsh that Paul would say, basically all of these fall under an idolater? Well, I think where Paul's going here is all of these sins fit under the category of lust and greed because one, they're replacing something with the true worship of God. And when you start to think of these, the concern would be they are implying that God is not providing what you need in your life. So just take greed, for example, the thought of, I need this, I want this. But what is really running behind that? Well, if God were good, he would have given me what I need and what I want. And so it is in a sense, an accurate assessment to see all of these sins have in common replacing the true worship of God with something else or someone else. And Paul says, if you're going to strive after imitating God, you need something that will reorient your thinking. And he will get to that in a moment. Now, the context of verses 3 through five would be those who display these things continuously in their life. Because I think as you read this list, some of you may be thinking, I've done that. I've, I've been greedy. Uh, I'm guilty of thinking impure thoughts. I've done things I shouldn't. So does that mean now I cannot say that I am certain that I'll be in the kingdom of God? Now, what Paul is saying here is, if these things are how you live and you don't struggle against them, you're not seeking to turn from them, then that lifestyle, that habitual action is reflecting. You are not a creature of his. You are not one of his children. And that's very important because Paul, even in writing to the church in Corinth, which we know had many issues among its believers, Paul would list some of these same sins, and then he would say to them, but you used to be like this, but now you have been washed. You have been made clean in Christ. And that's an important caveat we want to add here. Because if Paul is saying you, you've never sinned, and you've never been guilty of inappropriate language, or uh, foolish talk, or saying something to put someone else down, to elevate yourself, then we would all stand and say, I guess none of us can get into the kingdom of God. So Paul's, again, highlighting this view through the change that has happened in us in Christ. So anyone who, as hard as it might sound, is evidencing these traits continually in their life, then it's evidence that they don't know Jesus Christ. But as a Christian, these would be impulses and sins that we are seeking to starve, to not feed in our thoughts, in our daydreaming, even if perhaps at times in what we allow to come into our homes through movies, TV. I'm not saying all that's bad, but maybe if it's not to have any hint among us, 
Maybe we have to be more discerning. But let's go back to our text this morning and notice verse 6. In verse 6, there's a, a warning that needs to be heeded. He says simply, let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. And typically when you read, let no one deceive you, it implies that this has been taking place. And I think the context you can look at this is if we're seeking to starve these impulses and feed the right desires, would be the danger we always run when things in our world become acceptable, then often they sadly often seem to be acceptable in the church. And Paul's saying that's a dangerous thing you need to watch out for. You know, it should not surprise us that, that out in our world we see plurality being trumpeted. We see, you know, any kind of sexual desires being trumpeted. That should not surprise us. What should shock us is when those things, though, become more and more acceptable within the body of Christ, where either we don't respond to them strongly or we begin to accept them even within our own fellowship and with the lives of one another in Christ. Paul says, don't, don't let, don't be deceived by that. And when he refers to sons of disobedience, he, he's referring to those not who stumble occasionally and seek Christ's repentance and restoration and guidance, but that group that he's talked about in verses 3 through 5. But when you think of starving these impulses, how do you do that? I mean, we are a new creation in Christ. that We, we no longer are enslaved to sin. But the reality is that sin is still present in our nature and we deal with it every day. Notice the passage we read from 1 John that I read talked about we, we are not what we will eventually be. We will be like God. Well, Paul throws something in here that is important and he will come back to it at the around verses 18 through 20. But I want you to look for a moment at verse 4. As he's highlighted those sins, note how the verse concludes, but rather thanksgiving. Why is the attitude of thanksgiving a key ingredient in starving these sinful impulses? Remember how I told you what, what greed and lust are based on, saying God isn't sufficient for our needs. Paul then puts in here this, this statement, and he'll come back to it in verses 18 through 20. But learning to practice thanksgiving. In other words, having an attitude of thankfulness that God does provide what is needed. Not, not what you may want, not even what your world is telling you you need. We're getting into the Christmas season soon, and, and I'm sure this has happened to you. Uh, you watch a commercial, or you hear something advertised, and you're thinking, I need that. 
Now, prior to that, you probably hadn't thought about it. But once you see it, you're like, yeah, I could really use that. It is so subtle. And so Paul says, you know what? We need to cultivate and feed the right desire. And that is thankfulness to God. Thankfulness for our salvation in Christ Jesus. Thankfulness that he is with us and doing this work in and through us as we go through our week. So something we might almost pass over as a side note, oh, but, but thankfulness really says everything. And so I think sometimes in our neglect, we, we think about we need to be stronger. We need to imitate God. Yes, you do. You absolutely are given that charge. But to do that, starve those impulses that are characteristic of those who don't know him and feed through his word, through prayer, through conversation with one another in Christ. Feed those impulses that are centered around thankfulness for who you are in Christ Jesus and what God has done. So I'm really hoping this week all of us get caught. Not, not stealing packages on someone's porch, but I hope we get caught walking in love by the world, by, by one another in your interactions, testifying that, that you understand what Paul is saying here is critical for all of us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that your word is so simple so clear and yet we will spend a lifetime studying it and growing in it but i pray for my brothers and sisters in christ here that we this week by your grace and by the insight you have given us through ephesians uh, that we would walk in love i pray this in jesus name amen